Welcome to The Wounded Christian. I'm your host, John Piper. In today's episode, I want to talk about something that is possibly the most disliked and the most misunderstood subject in Christianity, and that is forgiveness. And if you're about to exit the episode because you're tired of hearing about it, don't. This could just be for you. Today's episode is going to be a little long, but I believe it will be worth it. If you've read my book, then this may sound familiar to you. Some of it will be taken directly from the book. But I'm also adding some insight that I have had since writing the book. So there's something here for everyone. You should be familiar with the four steps of healing. I was originally going to give forgiveness as step five in the process. But I realized it needed its own chapter. Why? Because I cannot tell you where in the process of healing it falls. Forgiveness is an integral part of healing process. Part of the reason I have not given forgiveness its own numbered step is because it has similar steps to those of healing. In order to forgive, you must admit that you have people you need to forgive, want to forgive those people, be willing to forgive those people, and take time to forgive those people. Before your mind tells you, but I have no one to forgive. Let me interject. If you have believed the lie that you have failed, then the first person you need to forgive is actually yourself. You do not need to forgive yourself for failing. You need to forgive yourself for believing the lie. Recently I had a discussion with somebody on the subject of forgiving yourself. Their view was the very idea of forgiving yourself was wrong. While I disagree with them, their view did make me think more about the subject. What I am going to say here is incredibly harsh. I hope that you know by now that what I say, when I say something harsh, it is said in love, and I'm as harsh with myself as I am with others. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. If you are struggling to forgive yourself, ask this question. What makes you so much better than God that you get to not forgive yourself? God has already forgiven you for whatever you may or may not have done wrong. If he has forgiven you, what gives you the right not to forgive yourself? Are you saying that you're better than God? No. No, you aren't. So come on and forgive yourself already. But forgiveness isn't that easy. I get it. You have undoubtedly heard countless sermons on forgiveness. And I don't want you to switch this episode off in anger, because how could he possibly understand how hard this is for me? But at the same time, I do not want to assume that you already know what you are supposed to do when it comes to forgiveness. I have seen people physically ill because of their inability to forgive, and I don't want that to happen to you. In my book, I shared the following story about my grandmother. This story was a contributing factor to somebody giving my book a two-star review. Someone semi-related to me, someone who had never met my grandmother, felt that I was being disrespectful. They are proponents of the idea that you do not speak ill of the dead. But the story is true. I'm using it as an illustration of the damage that unforgiveness can do. It is a cautionary tale, so I'm going to share it again. If it offends you, that's okay. Keep listening and you will learn how to forgive me by the end. My grandmother died a very bitter woman. Her body had been riddled with terrible arthritis that had made her housebound decades ago. 
Over the years, I had heard her say things about her past that made me realize that she had a lot of people she had never forgiven. I truly believe that her illness was worsened by the bitterness that was inside her. My grandmother's hurt did not come from a time in ministry. But if you are holding on to bitterness in the way that she did, your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual long-term health could cripple you in the way that it did her. Yes, forgiveness is hard. For some people, it's harder than others. The majority of the people who I had, who played a part in my wounding live in other countries, and it's an awful lot easier to seem to have forgiven people you don't have to see than the ones that you see every day. You're probably familiar with the many scriptures regarding forgiveness. I'm going to share some with you that may not be used in a typical sermon. This is from Matthew 6, 14-15 from the New Living Translation. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. For those of you who hear that and are on the defense, hold on a minute and continue to listen. Many sermons miss out verse 15. Why? Because it seems to be a condemnation, and no pastor wants to seem to be chastising their flock. For those of you who are feeling condemned, quit it already. And here's why you should quit it. There is a huge difference between refusing to forgive someone and struggling to forgive them. If you are struggling to forgive someone, or many someones, right now, then you have already admitted you need to forgive, that you want to forgive, and that you're willing to forgive. If the words coming out of your mouth are, I will never forgive that person for what they did, then do this. Reread Matthew 6.15. Go into the bathroom and slam yourself in the face a few times. You need it. But if the words that are coming out of your mouth are, I am trying to forgive, but it's a struggle, then you have no reason whatsoever to feel condemned. In Matthew 18, Jesus told his disciples that if a brother sinned against them, they should confront that brother personally and in private. If you are wounded, chances are it wasn't one individual who hurt you, and it probably wasn't one specific incident. Chances are the person or people that led to your wounding are other Christians. For some reason, we find it easier to forgive non-believers than people we consider should know better. But confronting a fellow Christian who has hurt you can be a part of forgiveness and a part of your healing. Confrontation is something that's rarely talked about in church. We're told, forgive and forget. We're encouraged to just ignore them, or they only caused hurt because they have deep wounds themselves. While the last statement is true, it does not give anyone an excuse to hurt others. Now, I want to be very clear about what I mean about confrontation. I do not mean going to someone who has hurt you and tell them just how evil of a person they are. And as a side note, I'm not talking about confronting someone who has put you in physical danger. When I say there is a need to confront someone, I'm talking about having a civil and humble conversation with them and telling them that what they did or how they acted hurt you. Give them a chance to respond. If they deny that they did anything wrong, then don't argue. Just simply walk away. Voicing out loud is what you need for your healing. Leave God to deal with convicting them. Don't try to do his work for him. 
after Jesus had done talking to his followers about how to confront someone who had sinned against them, Peter said, and this is a paraphrase, Ah, but Jesus, what if they do it again? What if they do it again after that? Jesus responded with this, and this is from Matthew 18, verses 22. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So, in reality, if someone sins against you, then on the 491st time, it's perfectly acceptable not to forgive them. Yep, you know better than that. Jesus meant that you had to continuously forgive the same person who sins against you, just as God forgives you the countless times that you do things wrong. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus was not saying that we should be a doormat. He had just got done telling us to confront those who sin against us. But we still need to forgive them. You probably already know why you need to forgive others, right? And no, it's not because God won't forgive you. That's only if you refuse to forgive others. It's because if you don't forgive, then your healing will not be complete. As a wounded Christian, you probably dislike reading the book of Job. If you're like me, it's very uncomfortable, as it's a little too real. One morning, as my wife and I were eating breakfast, she noticed that there was a scripture verse on one of our jars of jam. It's unusual for a food product to have a scripture on it. This particular jam is from a local fruit farm. It's a little expensive, and we only buy it occasionally. When I see a scripture in an unusual place, I like to look it up to see what the point the person is trying to make is. This verse was from Job. It was Job 42, 1 through 6. I'm not going to quote it because I'm not sure what connection it had to the jam. But verse 7 got my attention. This is the last chapter of Job. It's the end of his suffering and the start of the fulfillment of his healing. This is the point we are all looking forward to. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. These three friends went to Job and did as God said. Job prayed for them and God accepted Job's prayer. I'm going to explain in a minute why this verse and verse 10 caught my attention. First, I want to explain who these people were and just how hard this act was for them and for Job. Eliphaz and his friends were responsible for a large part of Job's wounding. In a very simplistic account of what happened, Eliphaz told Job that his suffering was because Job had sinned, that God was punishing him, and that God didn't care for Job, and he accused Job of some heinous things. God was mad at Eliphaz. God was angry with Eliphaz because he misrepresented who God was. God was so angry with Eliphaz that he would not even listen to his prayers. But at the same time, he was forgiving enough to give Eliphaz a way out of the judgment that was coming his way. Do you have an Eliphaz in your life? Do you have people who have told you that the suffering that caused your wounding is because you've done something wrong? Do you have someone in your life who has told you that God is punishing you because he has turned his back on you because of your sin? Do you have someone who's looked at your suffering and said, you must have done something wrong 
to deserve this? What if God told that person to come to you so that you could pray to God on their behalf? How hard would it be for that person to admit they needed your prayer? How hard would it be for you to pray for them, knowing that God was going to forgive them? How hard would it be for you to let go of the hurt in order to forgive them and pray for them? God asks us to do something huge when he asks us to forgive those who hurt us, but he has his reasons. The first is that we can't heal if we don't forgive. And the second is that we cannot be restored until we have forgiven. There is a difference between healing and restoration. Healing is about getting better. Restoration is about having everything returned to us that was lost during the wounding. Restoration is about being made whole again. But God's restoration is far more than that. What God asked Job to do in praying for Eliphaz and his friends was hard, but it came with a reward. Matthew 6.15 tells us that if we refuse to forgive others, God will not forgive us. But for Job, being willing to forgive Eliphaz and pray to God on his behalf came with much more than just being forgiven himself. Being forgiven for our sins and spending eternity in heaven is reward enough for me. But when we forgive others here on earth despite our hurt, he goes above and beyond with our restoration. Eliphaz and the other two had been Job's friends. When Job was suffering, they turned on him. They accused him of terrible, terrible things. They were the kind of friends that lead to the saying, with friends like these, who needs enemies? It would have been acceptable to many if Job had never spoken to these people again. But God was willing to forgive them, even in his anger. Satan had used these friends to wound Job, but God wanted to use them to heal and restore Job. As hard as it was for Job to pray for the people who hurt him, he did so, and God rewarded that. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. God waited for Job to forgive his friends and show that he had forgiven them by praying for them before he restored Job's fortunes. But it didn't stop there. God didn't just bind up Job's wounds, slap him on the back and say, boy." God went so much further than that to restore Job. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he'd had before. What Eliphaz do you have in your life? God is working on healing your wounds. God wants to restore you and all that you have lost, and then more. You may not have an Eliphaz in your life, or you may have more than one. As you heal, ask God who you need to forgive. Pray for them. God will reward you for your faithfulness to him as you forgive them, even if it takes 490 times. So here are two true stories. One of Grandma and one of Job. The hurt that Job experienced was far worse than Grandma's hurt. Grandma clung on to the hurt. She let it fester. The hurt turned to bitterness. It caused an illness to be far worse than it should ever have been and led to a miserable life. Job made the incredible hard decision to forgive his friend turns enemies. Now, Job did not forgive them because of his love for them. I know that might sound controversial, but he forgave them because of his love for God and his obedience to God. God restored Job fully, abundantly, because of Job's obedience to God, not because of his love for his abusers. I want to leave you with this. After Job forgave his former friends, they came and consoled him. 
and brought him gifts. But there is no mention of whether those former friends became friends again. What we do know is that they came to him for prayer because they were repentant and obedient to God telling them to. We're often told the lie that we have to be friends with the people who hurt us, even if they are unrepentant. And that is just not true. While we are required to forgive them over and over, we are not required to continually put ourselves back into a situation where they are able to hurt us. It is completely correct to forgive and move on from someone who refuses to admit their hurtful actions and refuses to change. As always, if anything that I've said today or any other time has helped you in any way, please let me know. That's the reward for what I do. You can send me a message on Facebook or you can send an email to thewoundedchristianproject at gmail.com.